Welcome to the Relax It's Retirement podcast with Josh Leonard from Leonard Advisory Group. In this podcast, we help those nearing retirement greet it with a well-prepared smile. Join Josh and his guests to learn the retirement and tax planning tips you need so you too can live your golden years with the happiness and excitement you deserve. Hear stories from his years of experience to help you transition into a fun and intentional retirement. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the Relax It's Retirement podcast with your host, Josh Leonard where we talk about transitioning into retirement with intent. I'm Wendy McConnell. Hi, Josh. How are you? Good. How are you today, Wendy? Good. It's always good to see your cheery face. What's happening with us today? Uh, not too much. You know, we've had beautiful fall weather, so grateful that it's not quite winter yet, which I'm sure yeah. you're experiencing as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, 50 degree days with some leaves falling are is a wonderful time of the year. I'm certainly happy to have it. But today, we're going to talk about the future. We're going to talk about AI, and we have a special guest, Mike Laughlin, on today. Uh, Mike joins us from Morningstar. Uh, he's uh, a, a portfolio specialist, uh, head of the portfolio specialist team at Morningstar. Um, he helps us in communicating what Morningstar is doing to help manage our client portfolios. Uh, prior to that, he's worked at BlackRock. He has a bunch of industry experience. But recently, I was at a conference and Mike was talking about AI. So I thought I'd have him on. We could talk about AI and, and what's going on with AI in general, but probably more important to some of our listeners, how we can look for investment opportunities moving forward as well. Mike, welcome. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Josh, Wendy. It's a pleasure to be here. Good, good. So Mike, how did you get into AI? So, you know, I as you highlighted, I, I have more of a financial portfolio background. I'm not a, a software engineer by trade, but I am an enthusiast when it comes to, you know, things that I think are going to improve our lives, things that I think are fun, um, things that are interesting, and AI kind of fits uh, all of those. So I sort of came into it from the lens of just you know, being interested and in, and in, and wanting to learn, and then connecting it to the financial side, which is, um, you know, I take a pretty optimistic view of AI. I think the next ten to twenty years are going to be a period of incredible change for our economy, for our markets, and you know, for us as as humans, maybe on the order of the industrial revolution or the introduction of the internet. And so, it's also been a really interesting space to try to think through um, from the perspective of you know, how could it shape the future? And also, how can we position our portfolios to, you know, ride that tailwind? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I think chat GPT has been the big one for all of us that uh, I know for me, that was kind of my, I guess, formal introduction to AI. You know, I think I've used it maybe for social media post writing or, you know, to help build some content. Um, how did you first engage with chat GPT or maybe some other forms of AI? Yeah, no, chat GPT was the first for me as well. There's a few other what we sort of call large language models out there, but chat GPT is certainly the probably the most well known today. Um, and I like to think of these most simply as like a text predictor on steroids and autocomplete. You know, when you go to Google and you start typing uh, something and, you know, it, it finishes the sentence. I, that's what I think of um, just a super powerful version of that when I think of chat GPT. 
the first question I ever asked it was how many gumballs could fit in a 747. I don't know why that was the first thing that uh, popped into my head, but it, it's amazing. It kind of just, hey, there are many variants of the 747, but if you took this variant, this is the cubic volume. This is the rough size of a gumball. And, you know, I think it's, uh, if I remember correctly, it's just a shade under 75 million gumballs. So if anyone listening needs to ship a huge quantity of gumballs, that is the amount you can fit into a 747. Does does that account for a pilot though, Mike? You might have to ask <laughs> it to revise because you still want at least a pilot. Right? At least one, yeah, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. And, and, and you know, it's funny because uh, with the internet, as I think of it, if I was trying to answer that question, I'd probably just go to Google and try to figure out how much space is in a 747 and do that. So it's it, to me, it's just sort of that that next iteration where we're taking it a step further. It does that research for you and gives you the output, but is also giving you the steps that it took to get there, which I think is important on the trust behalf of the tool. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I think of it in as the next iteration. And yes, Google or maybe Wikipedia is the the you know the iteration that certainly like you know you and I probably uh, being roughly the same age grew up in. But you could even go a step beyond that. I mean, we are old enough to have had library cards, and uh, I you know I remember my parents uh, as a wedding present got a set of encyclopedias that are still collecting dust somewhere in our house. So you know before Google and before the internet, like that was how you got information, right? You went to library, you checked out a book and you read it. And then the internet, Google, Wikipedia came along and that process got easier. And, you know, you, you could search for something and you would get your 10 blue links from Google and, you know, you'd click on those and that's how you would consume information. And I, I do think this is the next, the next step in that, in that chain. Okay. Yeah. I, I think it, it's a very useful tool. How do you see companies, you know, sort of adopting it now? Or how do you see the the influence and the impact? I know ChatGPT had kind of taken us all by storm, right? I think uh, you had shared some stats around how many people instantly went into ChatGPT and tried it out. Um, you know, how do you see that in personal and also in business? What sort of impact do you see here in the short term? Or what have we already seen? Yeah, so it took ChatGPT five days to reach a million users. Um, for context, it took Twitter two years. It took Facebook ten months. So five days was incredibly fast, and I, you know, I think indicative of the potential power that these systems might have. We are also seeing, you know, we monitor things like Google searches and we look at uh, call transcripts from, you know, companies like doing their quarterly reporting and things, and we're seeing big spikes, uh, you know, in, in AI interest and mentions in both. I think there are a lot of potential business applications. I mean, customer service, logistics, you know, all of those sorts of things come to mind readily. You know, the type of like like paperwork sort of efficiencies and things like that. Uh, at Morningstar though, you know, we are at our, at our heart, we are a data company that that was our founding is, you know, around financial data. So, you know, we are looking at ways that we can apply these types of tools and technologies to, you know, our own. And we, we've actually, we've developed a, um, a beta AI system that we call Mo from Morningstar, M-O, Mo. And so the idea with Mo is, you know, you, you can ask it financial questions and, uh, you know, similar to my question of how many, you know, gumballs are in 747, you might sort of ask it, you know, hey, what is Apple's current, you know, price to sales or, um, you know, any, any sort of data, data piece that you're looking for, or 
what is what is the rating on XYZ mutual fund, something like that. And it, it has the ability to give you financial information in, in that way. And so that's one example of, uh, you know, how a company that is very data rich, like Morningstar is looking to apply some of those models. So how do you, how do you, uh, or how would you hope, or how is Morningstar hoping that that technology evolves? Could it be something where you say, hey, I'm looking, you know, as a financial advisor, I'm looking to build a portfolio for a client that's two years out of retirement, and they're worried about the next economic collapse. In looking at these previous scenarios, what would be a prudent allocation? Or how do you guys see that kind of translating forward by using past looking data, current data to, you know, maybe help navigate markets moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it, I don't, I don't think it will sort of ever fully replace a, a human element in that equation. But I do think, for you as an advisor, it can help you get information you need faster and easier. And I think it can also, you know, get you started down the track of, you know, potential ideas that might be worth exploring or or, or engaging with a client, you know, especially in, in the realm of financial advice, you know, we, we don't see these types of systems or tools replacing financial advisors. I think it's more augmentation. You know, you, you can, an advisor wears so many different hats. Portfolio management is only one of them, as you, as you know, Josh, I think there are applications to client engagement, you know, to things like market updates, but at the end of the day, you know, money is one of the most emotional things that we deal with in our lives. And so we don't think that these types of systems will replace the the trust and the connection that clients have with somebody who is really helping them uh, thoughtfully you know, move through their financial journey. Okay. Okay. You know, I, I, how do you see like AI's impact? You know, so from the advisor perspective, we want to use it as a tool to make us more efficient. We have um, like tax planning software, right? Where we can scan in a tax return, get sort of some high level stats out of a tax return quickly. Whereas when I first started in the industry, you had to go through each line and, you know, sort of know the tax forms really well. Technology has helped adapt that. How do you see it in like, maybe for companies forecasting economic conditions in the future? Or what applications do you think for companies that we might be investing in, uh, they can use that technology? So I I mean I think some of the short term ones will be in the realm of you know customer engagement customer service you know the the types of sort of like automated bots that we deal with a little bit now I think we'll just get better and better at solving some of those challenges and issues which create a lot of scale and efficiency I think that there are companies out there that if you as a company if you generate like tremendous amounts of proprietary data AI can be useful in analyzing and I think uncovering, you know, potential opportunities. So like, I'll just use a company like Starbucks as an example, not an endorsement to, to buy Starbucks, but if you just think about the amount of stores they have, the amount of foot traffic they have, they know all of our individual orders, they know our preferences, they almost know our sort of schedule based on when, we, uh, when we're buying our coffees. Like there, there's a lot of data, Walmart, another, you know, company that, that this, you know, is an example of this where you can apply these sort of large models to this incredibly large data set. And I think find uh, those companies will be able to find opportunities. This is the kind of thing that's happening, like, I think as we speak, though. Mm -hmm. So it, it's it's still uh, in, in its nascent stages. 
Yeah, I can see easily for someone like Starbucks, if they're trying to incentivize Mike, they know he travels 10 days a month and typically in an airport, he's picking up a coffee before he jumps on a flight. Hey, Mike has not bought a coffee this month. Exactly. Uh, let's communicate to someone of this age group, this general demographic, a message that encourages them to grab a coffee. And here's a 50 cent discount. Push me a coupon. Whatever other. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that application can be very clear. I think in marketing communications, one of the challenges is not only knowing your audience, but then being able to divide your audience and communicate appropriately. And to me, like chat GPT or any of these language models are great tools for that. They can easily take basic data and set a, a tone um, that, that might connect with someone better. Yeah, I think there's also a lot of application in future software development within, you know, all of these okay. types of companies. You know, we're already seeing like time, like coding times for software developers are declining on the order of, you know, 50% right now. So again, it's an augmentation story. It's not replacing a human software developer or a human coder, but it's helping that person, you know, do their job in, you know, at significantly faster rates and, and significantly faster accuracy. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's helping, it's helping code, it's helping debug. And that has applications. I mean, technology touches sort of every part of our lives today. And so if we are gaining productivity, speed, efficiency, accuracy in that realm, that has tremendous power, I think, across you know potentially the entire economy. And that's where we see AI as a lever on productivity growth in an economy or in the economy. And that is the type of thing that you know has the power to kind of lift all boats, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I know technology in general, the fear is that it's all robots are taking our jobs, right? Um, but you're taking the stance more so, hey, I think it increases the economy and it helps everything rise rather than job replacement. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. And and we've been through these sort of tech super cycles before. And, you know, if you look back even in history away from like computer-based technology, sort of every major technological wave comes with the same fears of automation, mechanization, if you go back to, you know, the kind of industrial revolution. I think some of that is predicated on something that's called the the lump of labor fallacy, which is if there's not a finite amount of work in an economy, there's not a finite amount of jobs. It is not a zero-sum game. It is not if the machines do more, then there is less for humans. What actually ends up happening is when you apply technology, you generally you increase productivity, you decrease cost, um, that cost uh, creates, you know, sort of savings for consumers. Those savings create new demand, and we create new jobs elsewhere. Right. So we've seen this time and time again, and technology has improved the state of living for humanity. I mean, thousands and thousands of times over. And I, I don't think that this time will be any different. Certainly, some jobs are will be impacted, but you know, you can look back in history. We used to have switchboard operators used to be a a job, right? Uh, and now with modern tele telecommunications, I mean, I can call anyone anywhere in the world at any time uh, and, you know, FaceTime them. And so I, I think, uh, yes, we don't have switchboard operators anymore, but clearly like the modern telecommunication system has improved the standard of living humanity thousands of times over and created thousands of new and better jobs than 
you know, the switchboard operators they replaced. And I, I think that'll be the case here as well. Okay. You know, in terms of investing, how are you guys seeing opportunities for companies? You know, is it more finding who's going to be the leader of AI? Right now, I think uh, ChatGPT is, I think, funded or partially owned by Microsoft. Um, but much like the dot-com, maybe that's not the the future leader of the company. How are you guys assessing that from an investment standpoint? So most of the real sort of technological development machine learning AI is actually happening in the private space. So there's data that roughly, it's like 65 to one in terms of, uh, you know, companies private to public that are focused in this area. So the vast majority is happening on the private side. I think um, within the public space, Microsoft's a great example. Yes, they're they're an incredibly close partner of OpenAI, which is the, the team behind um, ChatGPT. Google, Bookmeta, those are also examples of other companies that are sort of leaders in this space. Then you have some of the um, you know, the the semiconductor, the chip manufacturers. So the the best example being NVIDIA, which has been on a tremendous run this year. Other examples being like a Taiwan semiconductor. So we're the way that we're thinking about investing around this is first, so you have sort of these like primary companies and uh, we do actually have many of them represented in, you know, some of our portfolios, you know, our, especially our, our select equity or our equity SMA portfolios. We also think though, there are companies kind of from an indirect uh, standpoint that stand to benefit from the application and use of these types of technologies and systems. And so I, I, we talked about it a little bit, but you know, companies that generate tremendous amounts of proprietary data, companies that are already familiar with digital and have a digital presence, companies that have very strong brands, those are some of the areas that we, uh, those are some of the attributes I would say that we think of when we're trying to think of the companies that will be the first beneficiaries of this application. There's some healthcare companies, for example, that you know that we're looking at in, in kind of that light as well. But it's just kind of you have your primary, uh, and then you have some of these indirect beneficiaries. I think though you want to be careful, right? Like the old adage of being fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful certainly applies. We do think this power will, this technology can be extremely powerful and transformative. But the price you pay for an asset does matter, and so you know you, you still want to apply you know rigorous research rigorous due diligence and you know our investing style is high quality companies at reasonable prices and own them for the long term so the excitement around ai doesn't supersede that you know really rigorous process but um we do we do find opportunities in some of those primary companies and in some of the companies we think will be the f- the first beneficiaries of the application of the technology Okay. Okay. So yeah, looking at adoption and sort of the trend as a whole, that's it. You can, I I think you went through this during your presentation recently at the conference that, you know, during the gold rush, you made lots of money if you sold picks and shovels rather than actually trying to find the gold. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think it's a great analogy to this environment as well. Yeah. Not too many gold miners got rich uh, in the gold rush, but people who sold the infrastructure to the gold miners certainly did. Absolutely. Yeah. And that restaurant placed right outside of a hotspot probably <laughs> did quite well as, you know, but but absolutely nothing to do with gold in their business, but the implications from outside of it. Yeah, I think that's a, a big reason why we we partner with Port Morningstar to manage portfolios is 
you know, we're not necessarily trying to find the one winner in the future, but rather viewing the trend, seeing who's implementing the trend and increasing efficiencies to, to hopefully be more profitable, get a better return on the investment in the long term. Yeah, exactly. What do established leaders, you know, in, investors or like what's the chatter of, uh, I, I guess, famous investors and things like that? Have you seen anything that stands out to you of, hey, more people seem to be skeptical of this technology or people are very accepting of it? What have you heard in kind of the chatter around AI? Yeah, I mean, so if you... If you, some like well-known technology leaders, like if you take Bill Gates, for example, he has said that AI, the development is, of AI is as fundamental as the creation of the microprocessor, the computer, the internet, the mobile phone. So it's on the scale of the really big technology super cycles that we've experienced over the last 20 years. I also think it's interesting. He has generally said with respect to technology, we, we tend to underestimate the, we, we overestimate the change in like a one to two year time frame and underestimate excuse me, the change in a, in a 10 year time frame. So we went from windows one to the iPhone in, in like less than 20 years, which is pretty incredible. Uh, and we're sort of at the very, very early stages. Uh, Mark Andreessen, who is a well-known venture capital investor, um, you know, the co-founder of Andreessen Horowitz, also the inventor of the original internet browser um, has said, like the short description of AI is a way to make everything that we care about better. So I, I think there are a lot of folks out there who are close to technology, who have, who are very excited um, about this. There are on the other side, you know, folks, you know, who have fears when it comes to these sorts of technologies. I think the, you know, the job apocalypse that we talked about a little bit is, is one of the common ones. Another one is obviously like the, the Terminator scenario, not, not at least, you know, in my personal opinion, the uh, very likely at all. Um, but but that is, uh, you know, buried deep into the the you know minds of uh, of folks uh, and Americans, and so I, I think that's the you know a, a common uh, sort of concern as well. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit more because I think that's a, a common thing that we'll hear around new technology is like I don't want the computer to replace my neighbor, right? So I don't want that that replacement, not only in terms of jobs, but I think with human interaction. So how do you see AI assisting in human interaction rather than replacing? Yeah, I. I so I, I'll come back to the augmentation concept. I also think these systems don't have to be perfect. They just have to be better than the average person, if you will. So self-driving is a pretty good example of this you know that that's a technology that's still it's in the ai machine learning space different from you know chat gpt but uh and still sort of like you know coming of age if you will but it doesn't have to be perfect it just has to be better than the average human driver and if yeah, i live on the i-95 corridor it doesn't maybe maybe it's not so hard to be average <laughs> better than the average human driver out there but like if we can get to those types of places then i you know i i think that's you know, tremendously um, beneficial, but I, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't think that those these systems have the the ability, I think, to drive down the cost of knowledge work, um, which is interesting because originally everyone was afraid that it was going to come for like the manufacturing jobs first, but we we still don't have a system that can pick strawberries or apples better than a human can, but we do have systems that you know, today are 
probably as good as the average doctor at diagnosing disease, probably as good as the average lawyer, right? Like, so it's coming for that, that space first. Uh, well, I think but you have so, to be careful with the attorneys. Wasn't there an attorney that that referenced some AI that was totally fake case studies or or something along those lines? Yeah, there was. There's an example, and I think this this person is going to be disbarred. But there was an example of an attorney who used ChatGPT or a similar system to uh, sort of litigate a case, and it it did uh, you know invent citations uh, that. That's a problem. Um, interestingly enough, and I mentioned Mark Andreessen a little earlier. He's he's done a number of podcasts, one of which sort of talked about uh, the response to that from some of the really large law firms has not been to stop using these systems. It's essentially been to just double check the citations, right? Like, there's a term called hallucination when it, with respect to to uh, some of these systems where it, it like, again, it, hallucination is, you know, it's sort of an invention of, of, of some fact, um, or in that case, citation. Uh, I think like we call it a, a hallucination when we don't like it, but we call it creativity when we do like it, if that makes sense. And there, you still want to have these types of systems, I think, help you in the case of uh, law, help you think about how to structure an argument for a jury or um, how would how would you what was the best way to sort of litigate this particular case or go back in sort of all of written case law and find me similar examples that have existed uh, to the situation that I've that I'm encountering here and and how were those cases litigated? What were the judge's decisions? But just then go ahead and just double check all all of those things. Well, I think that's it. To me, that's what's fascinating is as a tool, yes, followed proper research protocol. It just didn't reference anything that was real. Instead, it created a whole fiction about it, which is clearly problematic in law. That would be problematic in a lot of industries. But the tool itself took the proper course to research, which is the power of the tool itself. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what humans do that separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom is we, we build tools. And I would look at the development of these types of large language models and AI systems as, as exactly that as tools. And I mean, there are incredibly powerful examples on, on the positive side where these are already being applied. You know, one example, this was an article that came out within the last two months on, in, in the healthcare space, there was, um, a mother, uh, she had a young son, his name was Alex, or she has a young son, his name is Alex, who three or four years old, um, started developing some strange symptoms. And basically, uh, like kind of like full body pain, um, dragging a leg, um, unable to sit cross legged, uh, and some other uh, symptoms as well. And, um, being a great mother, obviously took him to different, see different doctors, different specialists, ended up taking him to 17 different specialists over the course of two or three years. And none of them were actually able to come to the right diagnosis. And um, again, you know, being a mother who never quits, she ended up one night taking sort of like all of his relevant medical information and entering it into ChatGPT and asking ChatGPT for a diagnosis. And, and it came back with something called uh, tethered cord syndrome, which is basically when the spinal cord incorrectly fuses to the spinal column in, in some way, it's sort of a related condition to spina bifida. And so then she, she, this first time she had heard of this, this condition, 
went on to Facebook, found some groups of parents who had children with this condition, was reading their experiences, sounded very, very similar to Alex's experience, found a specialist um, in the tethered cord syndrome area, took him to see that specialist and confirm the diagnosis. Um, and now, you know, this, this poor kid has been suffering for a few years, seeing 17 doctors. And through this tool uh, and this technology, was able to sort of quickly get to to, to the correct um, diagnosis. And so back to your question, you know, I don't think that these systems will ever replicate like sitting down with your doctor and talking about your health and your options and what you need to do. That is again, deeply personal and deeply human and, and deeply emotional in, in a similar way to money. But I do think, um, and we're already seeing it where these types of um, technologies can be applied uh, in in that way and get us to diagnosis faster. I mean, another example in the medical space is I, they're developing systems that can scan manogram, mammograms um, 30 times faster than current sort of either systems or, or human, you know, human technicians. And so you, you can just, you know, the, the benefits to, to people in that space are, you know, tremendously positive or, you know, the, the ability to just decrease wait times in doctors and hospitals by getting to diagnoses faster, emergency rooms, like that type of thing. Those are the, that's the, that, that's what I'm excited for, you know, over the next 10 to 20 years that the, the level of change we could see. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, it, it's, it's hugely empowering for that mother that was able yes. to find help for her son. You know, I think it's interesting how the healthcare and, and probably much like finance, there's a lot of regulations and privacy that you need to be careful with before you're dumping it into a model like chat GPT, right? Like sure. For us as a company, it's extremely important that no one is putting that client information or personal information in there, yet the ability to take data points, as this mother did, and come up with a different conclusion by aggregating a lot of data is like prime use of such a tool. So that's a wonderful uh, story to share. Thanks so much, Mike. Um, any closing thoughts or anything else that you think is important for listeners to consider when talking about AI and kind of the evolution of AI. I, I I think that these systems are also, in my opinion, I would say just in hugely democratic. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, we're potentially entering a, a phase of capitalism that doesn't require a ton of capital, right? Like any kid in their basement um, with the augmentation power and the, you know, the coding impact that we talked about of a system like ChatGPT can develop a product, develop a new software, develop, you know, a, a, a new company that has the ability to uh, impact all of our lives and impact the economy. And this is what we say, you know, it's going to push costs down in some of these areas, increase demand, increase productivity. Um, so I'm just tremendously excited uh, for the future, you know, for, for all of us uh, as these tools are, are deployed and continue to grow and evolve. Awesome. I, I like the optimistic outlook. I tend to be an optimist on most things. And, uh, you know, I think that's it. If we can have another tool that helps us be more efficient and enable parts of the economy that are under uh, underutilized now, I think that's great for everyone. Fantastic. So, Josh, if anyone has some questions for you, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, of course, Wendy. They can reach out to us at 412-998-PLAN. They can email me at jleonard at leonardadvisorygroup.com 
or check out our website at leonardadvisorygroup.com. All right. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Mike. And thank you for listening. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to the Relax, It's Retirement podcast, the show that helps you transition into a happy, fun, and intentional retirement. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.leonardadvisorygroup.com or give us a call at 412-998-PLAN. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Leonard Advisory Group, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service professionals with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.